either Cassian's at the end of a four team game, you know, road swing, wants to get home, he's getting beat eight to two at that point. Like he just he's pissed off and he's not thinking clearly. Uh, maybe clearly, maybe he's, he's very intentional. <laughs> the, but maybe, that also implies that Cassian ever th- thought clearly <laughs> oh my ever. God. What's up, and welcome to the Crude Oil Podcast, a weekly uncensored Edmonton Oilers podcast with your hosts, Sean and Greg. What's up, and welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It is the Dustin Penner episode number 27. Dustin Penner? Is that the best we got to work with? I mean... Have you seen George the Rock? Yeah, should we take two? Well, no, 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 no. You you chose Dustin Penner. It's too late now. You can't go back on it. It's the weird Dave Simanko, like, come on. Yeah, I I think I just choose the weird ones that like stick out. Remember how much the the organization like threw their entire like hopes and dreams on Dustin Penner's shoulders? Oh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, after they missed out on Thomas Vanek, they're like, let's go Dustin Penner. Let's see how that goes. That would have been interesting to have him. Um, the problem is if we went for Thomas Vanek, we would have lost, I think, three or four first-round picks. Right, yeah. So at the time, we would have lost out on, like, Taylor Hall, Yakupov, oh no, but Nuge too. I think that would be those first-round picks. Yeah, see, I don't... I. I'm happy where we, like, all of these decisions led us to getting Connor McDavid. So, you know what? No complaints. Well, yeah, and there's, what is it? There's the missed empty net by Patrick Steffen back in the day, right? Right. And somehow that led to us finishing one point above Chicago. Oh, no shit. And from that, Chicago won the draft lottery and got Patrick Kane. So we're like, oh, but if he didn't miss that empty net, we would have got Patrick Kane. But then we would have never got Drysdale or McDavid or been where we are right now. Yeah. So... It's hard to complain about that. Very fair. So it might be a shorter podcast because we only have two games to cover. Um, yeah, it feels like we're filling time already. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Uh, we've got the 8-2 Arizona game and the 5-2 Minnesota Wild game. Uh, one last one, and we'll get Minnesota out the window. You know, I was going to say, I was waiting for you to ask how i am because i feel like that's how we start the podcast and i was gonna say <laughs> like such an asshole but uh, yeah yeah how's uh, it going john yeah i was gonna say fucking terrible and <laughs> that was gonna segue into me essentially saying edmonton keeps winning so i have nothing to complain about and it gives us less content to talk about yeah it's true i mean when things are going good what what do you complain and whine about i can't yell into my mic as much it's not as fun things are good though hey we're, oh yeah we're I'm, I'm very happy that we're winning okay that's great <laughs> And I'm not sarcastic. I'm very happy. I want to I've keep had one. this win streak alive and hope we turned it around. I've had one of those weeks already. It's Monday. Um, but just where people call you and, and you're you're so busy with things going on and you're like they're like, How's your weekend? How's things going? And I'm like, let let's let's get to the let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. So <laughs> my bad. It's just more time killers. <laughs> very true. Um yeah, we we outlined a couple different things to talk about here. Uh, just in the last couple of games. Um, but we'll start with the Arizona game. My God, what an onslaught. Like, Edmonton just, from start to finish, this game was over when the puck dropped. It was peak of what Edmonton could do. And they showed that in spades against mm-hmm. Arizona. And if they don't bring that kind of effort every single game, then it kind of drives me insane. 
Yeah. Because it's not... And Arizona, to be fair, not a great team. But they have been not terrible either. They just beat Boston after we beat them. The best team in the league. Yeah, I, I didn't anticipate them to be not bottom of the league. Especially with that long of a road trip. Like... 14 yeah. games away from home. Well, didn't they say it was over a month that they hadn't played? Yeah, it was 14 games away. And there must have been something going on at the college or university, wherever the hell they're playing, that they couldn't go home to yeah, play any games. It has something to do, I think, with the... Well, even with their games, can they? isn't there a rule that they can't play Saturday home games because of the, the school? Yeah, I think the university has dibs on like the weekend games or something like that just because it's their home arena and their university kids they can't really leave to go play during the week yeah i guess that's it sucks but i mean the oilers caught them at a good time i guess and and this team really needed that i think i think it was a good uh boost to the the morale and just kind of the confidence for the rest of the team listen if we lost to arizona we'd be sitting here bitching and moaning being like we played down to them blah 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 but this is what you need to do which is beat the teams that are worse than you. You cannot lose valuable points to a team like Arizona or a team like San Jose or a team like Anaheim. You need to beat them. Uh, And I think the other thing that builds into this win too is the best players were your best players. I don't know. Clem Costin, he was our best player. Hey, I'm not, I'm not, you know, pulling him out of our best players, but (laughs) yeah, no, I just, uh, we'll get into him in a second, but, uh, yeah, Connor McDavid, uh, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins. I think it was a combined, like, something crazy. Eight points? Uh, yeah, something along those lines. Let me do a quick tally. But, yeah, it just complete uh, domination from the team. Here's the thing about this complete domination is they dominated mostly on the power play. Like, McDavid's two goals were number seven and number eight. So just a cherry on top, right? <laughs> so outside of the beginning of the game where they got a couple power play goals, it was like Derek Ryan's line, the second line with Yamamoto getting an assist, um, Dylan Holloway and the third line getting a, getting a goal, and yeah. Holloway getting the point. Um, Clem Costin, again, scoring goal number, what would that be? Six in that game. Yeah. So I think the top players put more of the cherry on top of the game and made it out of reach, but... I would say the depth guys are the ones who truly won us the game. Uh, I'll I'll listen to that. That makes sense. But it, just to wrap up quickly, nine points between uh, Nuge, and McDavid, and Drysidle. Uh, but yeah, let's let's dive into that then. Clem Costin, I thought easily his best game of the season. Oh, for sure, he had the Gordy Howe hat trick. Yeah, fought Cassian. Cassian clearly was just being an asshole, I think, and just wanted to fight him for the sake of fighting him. So yeah, that was going to be my question. Either Cassian's at the end of a four-team game, you know, road swing, wants to get home. He's getting beat eight to two at that point. Like, he just, he's pissed off and he's not thinking clearly. Uh, maybe, clearly, maybe he's, he's very intentional. <laughs> the, but you, maybe, that also implies that Cassian ever th- thought clearly, <laughs> oh my ever. God. <laughs> um, but I think the other thing, just taking a look, there might have been an element, I think, that he's a little bit upset with how easily Costin went down when he hit him. Oh, I'm sure that had something to do with it. And Cassian's the kind of guy who finds slights where there isn't slights to get mad about, yeah. to be fair. But, hey, I'm I'm perfectly fine with it if, uh, like, Klim, for example, or Klim, I guess, is how you're supposed to pronounce Klim it. Klim Um If he's a willing combatant, then I have no problem with it. And that is the reason why Kostin, I think, will be on that fourth line when we're 100% healthy. Have you seen a player in the past five years... Um, that the Oilers 
fans have all rallied around a bottom six player as a fan favorite? Um, I would say like the last known example would be Cassian in sixteen seventeen during the playoffs. Yeah, and then outside of that, probably not because you had the rotating cast of like the Jujar Karas in there, mm-hmm. who were supposed to be those guys. Maybe Archibald, yeah. when he first came that first season, people really, really liked him. Brandon Perlini for a hot second. Yeah, preseason Perlini. <laughs> Ty Ratty in the preseason. Yeah. Pretty much all these guys who just show up for preseason. I think, of all the guys that you mentioned, though, I think that Clem Costin's game is more rounded than every single one of those players. Granted, you know, Archibald threw his weight around, but he did not have the size and he did not have the power forward structure that Costin's brought so yeah, far. Costin also has the hands. Yeah. He's a former first-round pick, so he has the skill there. He wasn't picked there just because of his size. So I think he brings a huge element. And him and Ryan have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. I think they've proven that the two of them are going to be staples on that fourth line. Um, I don't know if Shore has been as effective as the two of them have been, but you can't argue with what they've done in the past two games. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the topics and stuff, we'll look into the Minnesota game. 5-2 win. Uh, Minnesota's not, you know, the easiest team to beat in the NHL. Like, they're a solid club. Minnesota is kind of unique in the sense that they still seem like they want to play that, like, slow trap style that they've been known for for, like, 15 years. But then they have guys like Kaprizov there who don't play that style. They play, like, ball-to-the-wall offense. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird fit there. I'm surprised Kaprizov ended up signing long-term because of that. I mean, anything to keep you out of Russia at this point. But (laughs) I didn't think about that. (laughs) Uh, It's tough when those are your two options. But, um, yeah, like, I don't know. Every single one of those games, I still get bogged down by the, the style of game. Maybe it's just the arena that it's in. Like, this one was easier to digest maybe because it was in Edmonton. But, like, I know tonight it's, like, one of... One of the least favorite places to watch a hockey game, at least from a TV perspective. I and I, I can't even tell you what it is. I think it might just be like it's ingrained in our head to hate Minnesota for the way they play. Because it's hard to say that that was like a slow trap style game when each team had like 40 shots on net. So And there was huge chances both ways. Like Skinner, I would say, is the reason why that wasn't a tie game going into overtime or something like that and similar flurry is the reason why that wasn't like a 10 to 2 game yeah because flurry made some 10 bell saves too yeah he really did he really did one real cool thing that uh, i saw and everything that i've heard about the stories about mark andre flurry is that he's like an absolute complete professional and uh i i saw the little segment that they had where gene ran into um the staff that were cleaning the ice and one of the they saw a flurry go up to him and he was just thanking them because he has the weird thing where he puts his bottle in upside down and that's a such a weird thing to do but the fact that the the staff on the ice knew that this is what he did and they set him up it's just a quick thank you for like it's just these little things it's so cool to goalies are also really weird oh my god yeah complete creatures (laughs) but um yeah i i guess looking into the game I missed the first half of it, um, so I know that uh, Darnell Nurse has kind of popped up on your radar here. <laughs> Man, I hate shitting on Nurse so much, but like, I just don't understand why when he makes a mistake, it is like the most painfully, visibly obvious, boneheaded mistake you've ever seen in your life. It's like he has moments where he looks like our number one defenseman, and other times where he looks like he was just drafted out of junior and is way in over his head. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. 
he is quite the um, anomaly of a player. Yeah, like it, it uh, when he messes up or things happen, like um, it they come at at big costs. And then you, the one thing that I was kind of surprised is just to see the the time on ice for Darnell Nurse continue to be there after a mistake like that. Where I think if you look back a couple games ago and Bouchard makes. Not, not even. I would. I. I would say Nurse is more direct yeah. on that mistake than yeah. Uh, Nurse's was, was much more egregious. And let's say. yeah, I think that's a big uh, moment where you sit down a guy and you say you you set a precedent for the team. Like well, anybody can fuck up. I feel like the coaches are like, oh, Nurse is a veteran. Like he knows we don't have to send him a message. Versus Bouchard, who's a sophomore, is like we might have to send the message, but. I think it sends a better message if you were to bench a guy like Nurse for, like, let's just say the period, mm-hmm. to show accountability for all the defense, regardless of your experience level. Like, we expect a standard, and you need to meet that standard. Yeah, like, at that point, you're looking at, what, eight minutes with him on the bench? Yeah. So. Uh, I think it would have been reasonable to do that and, like, say something like that to the decors. Like, just so you guys know, like, we expect accountability. If you make yeah. a mistake this egregious... You will be punished to a degree. And to another note, like Broberg and Bouchard together, for example, they've been really good. Mm-hmm. I've been very impressed by them, and I would argue that they have been our steadiest pair, especially through these last two games. Because Kulak and Barry, like, they've been okay, but similar to Nurse, when they make mistakes, they're egregious and cost the team. Yeah. I, it's kind of nice to see Broberg kind of slip in and just be completely quiet. I know we've talked about it week the, over week. about This just, is what we kind of need from him yeah. and what he should have brought at the beginning of the year. And I think maybe he figured that out after he got sent down, that maybe he was trying a bit too hard, trying too hard to be fancy. And maybe his time in the AHL, he got back down to the fundamentals of his game. Yeah, build that little bit of confidence up, get that ice time in. Maybe like his training camp was as long, wasn't as long as uh, he needed it to be, but... Um, yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was nice to see him kind of slide in and not be, you know, forcibly moving pucks up ice or, you know, just playing hot potato every single time. Yeah. Um, It's important to note that these guys are probably playing more sheltered minutes. I don't have the advanced stats in front of me, but I'm sure nurse and CC are playing against like the Kaprasov line, for example, in this Minnesota game, like the vast majority of the time Yeah, versus these guys uh, Broberg and Bouchard are probably playing against the fourth line and the third line occasionally getting offensive zone starts, not much defensive zone responsibility. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember if we mentioned this or not, but recording Monday night, Oilers about to play Minnesota last time. Uh, Tuesday will be the Preds, Thursday with St. Louis, and then we head into Saturday uh, with another 2 p.m. game, lovely, uh, against the Ducks. But uh, that kind of brings up some of the topics over the week that we wanted to get into um, let's start with some of the roster moves, actually, that that uh, occurred. We see Benson going down um, to Baco, and kind of alternatively, that leaves up James Hamblin. Shocker? Not necessarily. Benson going down, I'm not surprised. He cleared waivers. Once again, not surprised. He's not the probably the quality that people are looking to add to the roster at this point, and I wanted Benson to do well now that he's back from injury, but maybe he needs some time to ramp back up after that. But he didn't look like he was ready to stick with the roster, not like he did in preseason, didn't bring it the same way. Hamlin, on the other hand, has one benefit that Benson does not, 
and that is that he is a center. Yeah, I was going to say. And with McLeod out still, he's playing center. Otherwise, you have Ryan and Devin Shore as your bottom centers, unless you want to play Holloway at center, for example. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not surprised by that at all. I think it's good confidence, too, because like, you're you're giving a guy and Tyler Benson a chance to get fired up for the season. Uh, I would not be shocked to see him called up in two to three weeks. Yeah, he could be one of our first call-ups kind of style. Yeah. Um, he'd probably be ahead of Malone in the death charts unless we need a center, for example, where Malone yeah. plays. But in um, conversely, like you're also giving Hamblin that extra little bit of experience. Like He hasn't been bad. Hamblin um, has been, which I'm happy about for a young player, he's been pretty quiet. Yeah. Where he hasn't been like a liability on the ice, and they've got their fair share of a few chances. Because it's Hamblin, Holloway, and Pugliarvi playing together. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, like there was a lot of talk of Holloway lately. And I think the Minnesota game was a bit more of a quiet game. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. So it'll be interesting to see what, how that line plays tonight and how many minutes they play. Because with how well the Ryan line and the Cawson line or sorry, they're the same line. <laughs> yeah. How well they've been playing. They're essentially that other line with Holloway and stuff is getting bumped down to fourth line duties in minutes. Okay. And the vast majority of the responsibilities going to the pseudo fourth line of Derek Ryan and Clip Cawson and Devin Shore. Yeah. So that kind of leads into the next question that I had. And I mean, I think I know the answer because we talked about it a little bit last week, but when all of these injuries get figured out, um, and everybody's healthy, does Clem Costin still have a spot on this top 12? I would say so. And so that likely pulls out you're either losing a, a Ryan or a Shore. I think Shore, for sure. Yeah, I think be Shore would be the first day. Yeah. Because I think we talked about this before. We'll go through the lines again. It'd be like Kane, McDavid, Hyman, Nuge, Drysaddle, Yamamoto, um, Holloway, McLeod, Fogel. And that leaves Ryan, Costin, and Pugliarvi as our fourth line. Right. So I think that's pretty reasonable. I know there's a bit of a offside with Costin and Pugliarvi. I think they're both righty or right wings. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they're looking for that balance. Because... I think I think Costin's a natural lefty though, okay. left winger. So well, then like that would work pretty well. And I think it speaks volumes about Pugliarvi and where he might be valued in this organization at this point. True. True. Um, I, I'm with you. Like, I think Costin, if he continues to play the way he's playing, you have to find a spot on the roster. Oh, of course. And if you take him out of the roster, like, obviously Kane will be back, but I don't want him fighting and being overly physical. Yeah. I'd rather see a guy like Costin do, like, doing the grunt work that comes with that role. And I think if you're going to play him somewhere, I think you have to play him somewhere that's complimentary to a smaller player, like a Yamamoto, like a Pugliarvi. I say Pugliarvi, but he still plays a soft game. That's yeah. why I say that. What about Derek Ryan? Well, exactly. Yeah. Same I kind think of that's deal. why they complement each other so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, knock on wood that everybody gets back right away. And that, of course, with McLeod coming back, that obviously states that you'd your first move would be Hamblin down and then probably Devin Shore. But I know they like to keep him around for his kind of versatility up and down the lineup, but we'll oh, he'd see. just be the thirteenth forward for sure. He mm-hmm. would still be on the roster. They're not going to send him down, probably, yeah. unless there are some cap implications that we're not considering, of course. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, nice things that we saw in the Minnesota game is that Yamamoto finally gets that monkey off the back with his first of the season. That was nice to see too, and his um, I think it was the Arizona game where he had the nice 
forced turnover that gave Nuge the breakaway where he buried. Yeah. And that's classic Yamamoto that we're always looking for. So I think he might be starting to gain his confidence back a little bit, which with Yamamoto, he either has no confidence and is on a huge cold streak or his confidence is sky high and he's going to put up point per game for the next like 20 (laughs) games. See, that's why uh, I was joking on Twitter because the – this is the practice before the the Minnesota game where he kind of got dogpiled by the team with the hug in the corner. Like that's all he need. Just a, just a hug. Like, well, it's similar to a little reminder, similar to Bouchard when he got the monkey off his back. Yeah. Where like when's since he scored those goals, I haven't yelled at my TV that Bouchard keeps hitting people (laughs) in the shins with his puck. Yeah. He's found a way to kind of get his head out of that area of his game and has been able to get shots through a lot more easily. So, I think that'll be the same with Yamamoto, where maybe he'll have a little bit more confidence crashing the net with his stick on the ice and being able to get pucks on net in general. Yeah. He also had a breakaway where he could have scored as well in that, um, one of those games. I can't remember which one now. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of these players will need some reminders sometime just because this team, this team feels different, uh, and I'll associate them with last year's team as well, but I don't remember seeing such a cohesive, like, admiration for each teammate like they talk about how close a room can be and everything but you can tell that these guys are fighting for each other um and even when you look at the guys that are struggling like they're all yamamoto fogel um bouchard the best of buddies and you got to know the entire team has their back too it's just when you see them struggling when one guy pulls himself out it seems like they're pulling someone else along with them and it's um it's moving in a very much like a, uh, you know, a train, if, if you want to use that as the... Um, yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the team as a whole, like, obviously winning helps. So, like, comparing it to the Decade of Darkness is a little, like, meh. But this team's been a lot more consistent with its overall cast over the past, like, let's say five years. Where versus like during the decade of darkness where the team every year, there'd probably be like 12 different players on the team because they were trying anything. The bottom six was never the same players, Mm -hmm. but this is like the first year in a while where I feel like we've had the same kind of six players plus or minus a guy here or there Yeah, who are in that bottom six. So everybody knows each other. They're all familiar with each other and they've had that opportunity to build that camaraderie, which obviously has helped the locker room. Yeah, for sure. But uh, if we're going to be honest about people and uh, the struggles that they're going through, I think we got to talk about Pugliari because this came out like the day of our last podcast. But it's been a week. Uh, it's been time to kind of digest some thoughts. But um, Pugliari's comments to the Finnish reporter where he's kind of down and out is it's sad to see, man. It was really depressing to read, to yeah. be perfectly honest. And, like, Pugliarvi's always struggled with confidence, but it clearly showed in that. Mm. Like, and, you know, it's just painful to read stuff like that, that a guy his age feels like his career's already over in the NHL. Yeah. When, like, if he was in the league 10 years ago, when youth wasn't as in the spotlight, he would his career might just be getting started and people wouldn't have these sky-high expectations of him. Yeah, and it, it feels like Oilers fans are such a divisive group when it comes to Pugliarvi like you're either his biggest fan or you're critical of him and I think when you look at his struggles yes there's an element to him struggling yes there's an element to his point production 
But you got to know that all of those things that he's going through right now, he knows. Clearly, he knows that. Then you have the impact of the coach. The coach is obviously going to have his back. The team's going to have his back. They know he's struggling, though. So he's heard it all before. But when we have all this external, like, piling, being like, oh, he's a man, he should figure it out. Like, this isn't 1980 anymore. There, there also wasn't, so, or, like, social media in 1980 either. So, like, I don't know if he's ever online and goes through all this stuff, but he... God, I hope not. Yeah, God, like, if if I were to give any advice there is shut off your phone, like, get away from it, and connect yourself to the group as much as you can. Because the other thing, like, too, is you you have the media types around Edmonton that are are jumping on. It's like they're starting this fire, and then two weeks later when he comes out and says these comments, be like, oh, what happened? Oh, he said it, it wasn't us. That's such horseshit. You can't fucking, like, fuel a fire and then just watch something burn down and then be like, oh, look what he did to himself. Yeah. They like, they provided all of the gasoline necessary. Exactly. It just got sparked by something else. Yeah. But to be fair, when, when it comes to Pugliarvi, I would say his biggest, like, flaw in his game, outside of confidence, obviously, yeah. um, would be, like, his stick handling, for example. Mm-hmm. And that has not improved in the slightest, I feel, in the past, like, whatever. It's been since he's been drafted, like, six years. It's been, like, he's playing more physical. That's good. And, like, getting more confident in that part of his game, which lends to more of a bottom six role, which is fine. Yeah. But the one biggest aspect of his game that people have complained about hasn't improved at all. So is that lost in communication somewhere where he doesn't think it's a problem is it just something he doesn't have in his toolkit mm-hmm. is he's just gonna be like stone hands for the rest of his life or is that something he can improve yeah and it's i think the biggest thing that pissed me off is that he's clearly struggling and he's going to use his you know native language to explain to a reporter no shit he's not talking to edmonton reporters about this stuff i mean well could you imagine calling no up those guys and being like oh yeah like i think my career's over yeah like, like they'll eat you fuck. alive yeah but um the other thing too that like in that entire report the one thing that i was kind of happy to see is that yeah he had an excerpt where he felt like he was over but he also took a positive out of the role that he's playing now, and he's trying to do things that are different. Like, his hitting is completely picked up. He's got that kind of... And that's kind of the nature of a, an NHL's, or NHLer's career. Like, you, you adapt or die with anything in life. And if Puyi can't be the top goal-getter that, you know, the top six producer that they expected him to be, he's got to find a way he can contribute. You know, this is... An interesting question, I think, for you. With him signing for a $3 million contract, mm-hmm. do you think that was more of a detriment to his game than if he would have signed for, say, one and a half? Yeah, I think it set him up for a lot of pressure. Um, Unrealistic expectations? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sets a bar at, you know, whatever. And I've mentioned this before with the nurse contract, which I think is the biggest bullshit argument that you can have. Like, because a guy's making x amount of dollars that they have to live up to that standard that it's it's fucking market demand like it well and the way the nhl set up you get paid for what you have done yeah not for what you were going to do look at like taves and kane for example where they won like three cups with chicago and all that and then they signed their huge contracts those contracts were never active when they won any of the cups 
Not to mention that these players work under a union. Like, do you know if, like, if you're setting a market price for X player and that player takes a bath like McKinnon did to stay in Colorado, do you know how many people you're pissing off? Like, all of your peers start turning their back because all you're doing is lowering the overall market price for that type of player. I, do I blame Pugliarvi for getting as much money as him? No. Did it help him, maybe? I I don't think so. Well, help him financially, but yeah. could he have extended his career potentially longer? Like, I know I'm talking like his career is over. Right. But, like, would he extend his career longer if he didn't feel so downtrodden and didn't feel like he needed to go back to Europe, for example? Mm-hmm. If he was just one and a half million, his points would be okay for that amount. That What he brings to the game would be more than okay for that amount of money and nobody would be forcing him onto the top line and the second line because clearly he plays better with less pressure not playing with the top guys yeah he seems to really come out of his shell when he's playing with like mcleod and holloway and whoever the fuck else is on that line (laughs) hamlin right now yeah i that would that would be the best outcome i think out of this because i'm okay pull your he's a bottom six player if well, he plays the way he's been playing on that third line, like, I've got no issue with it. Well, he needs to, like, obviously, I think he needs to lower his expectations. Obviously, he yeah. is very wanting to contribute in a top six role. But he needs to lower his expectations. And ultimately, all of us, and especially the media, yes. need to lower their expectations. And stop looking at the $3 million and look at the player himself and what we, we've had, like, five years of him playing here to figure out exactly what type of player he is. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, he could improve in areas, and I'm sure he will. But at this point in his career, I don't see him as more than a third liner. Yeah, it's completely fair. So. He needs to start killing penalties. That's what we need. That'd be interesting. He'd bring a lot more to the bottom six if he also killed penalties. Yeah. So it's almost more of a Cassian situation where he doesn't kill penalties, so it's like he's going to get lost in the shuffle in special teams. Yeah. I And just to kind of put a bow on this, I think the one thing that I'm really appreciative of is uh, Ken Holland's tendency to sit with things until he's comfortable to make decisions. Like, he's not giving up on Puglia-Yarvi just to get an asset and give him a new start. Obviously, Puglia-Yarvi is going to give him an ultimatum. He's done it to the team before where, like, I'm not going to play. Well, I believe there was some sort of verbal agreement, at least, and I think Puglia-Yarvi's agent mentioned it recently, where essentially they were going to try it out at the beginning of the year, but Mm -hmm. if it didn't work out, they would work together for a trade to make something work because... I would not be surprised if this is Puliarvi's last season here. Yeah. Whether or not he finds his game and manages to score 30 goals this year, I think this is his last year here regardless. I I agree with you. It if, just if for anything it's just his mental health at this yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. Go to Columbus like Goudreau did and just <laughs> chill and coast for the rest of your career. Yeah. Um Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. I I don't see him finishing out the season in Edmonton. But. Maybe finishing out the season, but yeah, I don't see him going any further than after this season. I hope he stays because if the Oilers make a cup run and we get to see that tongue flapping about on Jasper Ave with a Stanley <laughs> Cup hanging Be above like his a head, golden retriever hanging out the car window. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, we'll shift some uh, shift some gears. My, my freaking words. Um, it's Monday. It is Monday. Some of the other stuff. Did you see the fucking uh, swing from Shabbat on the on the bench on Saturday? That was hilarious. 
Oh my god. And I feel terrible for Hamannick. For anybody who doesn't know, Shabbat angry on the bench, sitting next to Hamannick. They're along the boards on the right side. And Shabbat just randomly loses it because obviously he's frustrated and just slams his stick against the glass to the right. But his stick breaks. And his follow-through just slashes Hamnick right across the face. I didn't see, but did he go down? Like, was he out any shifts? Uh, I don't know if he left for any shifts. I know he was sitting there looking pretty uh, beat up for a second. Being yeah. like, It's kind of like one of those moments where you're like, are you fucking kidding me? You could tell he's just thinking that. Yeah. Good God, that was... Oh, my goodness. Just the rest of the team. Like, in that moment, everybody on the team is like, you idiot. Like, oh, I'm sure he's well aware. I think he had some comments today where he's like, yeah, that was probably the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, then we had the incident with uh, Chara and Bieksa. Chara going on that podcast talking about uh, how allegedly him and some Bruins players either heard or saw. It, his story kept changing. They, like, had we to saw, have, they had to have heard. Yeah. We saw, then the media saw, and then we heard, and it kept going like worse and worse and worse. But apparently the Vancouver Canucks were um, asking about how many people they could invite to the game to get down on the ice. Um, this was back in the 2010. Is it 2010 or 2011? 2011. 11. 2011. Um, for the, the finals, and then they're uh, pretending to pass around the Stanley Cup and all this other stuff, and... I, this happened a couple days before Bieksa announced that he's going to address it on Saturday night, and I was just ready for him to like tear a rip off Achara. But to Kevin's like defense, he actually came off really professional with his response. I mean, he is on payroll for Hockey Night in Canada, <laughs> so he probably had to kind of sit back and control his response a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can only see that they heard that, or else from bx's comments you would have definitely gotten a response from chara by now being like no we saw it or something like that maybe it was like some ice crew or something who walked by chara and they're like hey chara guess what we saw them practicing what do you think about that and chara's just like what the fuck yeah clearly it worked but i i love his uh in his response how he's talking about when you make these comments you're not only like taking a shot at two hall of fame like hockey players in the sedines you're also taking a shot at the leadership crew in which he was a part of saying that they would allow this kind of thing to happen on the ice and think that it was appropriate. Like there's no shot that would have happened. None whatsoever. Maybe like a single guy walked out and just thought about it for a second. And he's like skated out there. was just like, Oh yeah, this is what it'll be like. But the whole team, like pretending to pass around the cup and be like, Oh, who's, who's next? Who's (laughs) next? Oh, Luongo get over here. There's no fucking way they did that. No, no shot. Um, that was interesting. Um, and, and the media output, uh, just, just continued. We, uh, we get the Tim and friends response talking about the Leafs and how they're on a bit of a heater right now. Um, just a smidge. Yeah. Just a little bit, but they're talking about how, um, put up a tweet asking if the top four players for the Leafs, if they can find a better top four, um, in the NHL right now. And the Edmonton Oilers with a rare, like, clap back win like stating nuge hyman mcdavid and dry have 31 more points than those four combined granted it's the entire year but i mean isn't that what you're paying for not streaks 
Even if it was in the past 14 games, I think it would at least be pretty even. Yeah. Because McDavid's on his goal streak, Dreisaitl's Dreisaitl. <laughs> I think Hyman's been a little like uh, cold lately, but Nuge has been hot as hell lately, too. He's got more points than Matthews this season. Yeah. Like, we keep talking about all this shit, and we barely pumped Nuge's tires for having the best season of his career so far. That's true. I think he scored more goals than he did all of last year already. He's one of those guys that just puts up quiet points. Well, they're all power play points, right? And I was, I was having an argument with uh, my cousin the other day about, essentially, the Oilers' power play is nothing without Nuge, is what I was trying to argue. And he's like, no, it's McDavid and Drysaddle. They'll be fine. But before Nuge was up on the first unit, like five years ago or so, he was playing on the second unit. And Edmonton's power play was the worst power play in the league. Yeah. And then Nuge finally got put back up on that unit. Next season, they're top five. Next season, number one. Next season, number one. Like... <laughs> Nuge is one of the best half-wall players in the game. It's a shame he's not right-handed so he could have a better shot on that side. But because he's left-handed, he can distribute like crazy on that side. And it's part of the reason why Drysaddle gets as many goals as he does on that power play. Yeah. But anyways, I got off track, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, and fuck, fuck the Leafs. They go on a win streak and everyone's pumping their tires and cares about them so much. But their $11 million forward has less points than our $5 million forward. No, I, it, good rant. I appreciate that. Uh, I just wanted to pull up a tweet uh, from Zach Lange. He's talking about the uh, the points, um, well, the salary cost per point. And between McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and Hyman, uh, they have a combined cap hit of $31.63 million, uh, 62 goals, 161 points. $196,000 per point. Marner, Matthews, Nylander have a combined $40.5 million, 57 goals, 130 points, so 31 less. $311,500 per point. So, I don't know, you tell me how the, the cap management's going for the Leafs. Well, I think we all know how that's going, but... Ah. Finally, we'll, we'll wrap up with the news of the Heritage Classic. Um... Yeah, next year it's back and it's against the Flames, which is nice. I've already had many people reach out to me like, we're going, right? Oh, we're going. We're going. <laughs> oh, I'm super excited, though. First one since the one against Montreal? Uh, yeah, here. Yeah. Because they had the... Oh, Winnipeg I mean, I mean yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And, and granted, it's going to be in October, so hopefully a little bit warmer than it was before. Um, I mean, this time around, or October this year, it was pretty warm i think yeah i think we had a couple 20 degree days so it'll be interesting to see if it ends up being that hot if they're even able to have it yeah i know my parents went to the first game and my dad still has that fun story where he went to go buy two beers minus 22 um without the wind chill and they sat down you'd finish like half your beer and your other one's frozen like yeah it sounds about right uh, yeah. a lot of kudos to those kinds of uh um games to those players in those games anyways. I think it's going to be plus 20 or it's going to be minus 20. And there's no in between. Yeah. Um, did you see the... It was a rumored leak. I think it was some guy's just design of the jerseys. I did not. Okay. It may be the most atrocious Oilers jersey I've ever seen. Okay. I thought you were so, going to say something else. I thought oh you were my like, good oh yeah, God. it's great. It's, it's an oil drop and then it's got what looks like a banner that goes around the oil drop that just says Edmonton Oilers and... It's in, like, the color of the late 90s jerseys, you know, with the shoulder patch and stuff, and yeah. the red added into it. It's pretty horrific. So I hope that they're still designing jerseys and that has no insight whatsoever. 
well, I hope that guy doesn't work for them. <laughs> He's the jersey designer. That'd be pretty unfortunate. Honestly, I'm getting to the point where we're... I'm getting old, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I'd, I'd be down to see like the old like copper and blue comeback. For a game like that, I would definitely be all over that. And see Calgary bring back the horse or something like that for yeah. that jersey. That'd be, a, that'd be a good time. Yeah. But it'll be an exciting game. There is one more piece of news that I just wanted to talk about that uh, we mentioned last podcast that Reed Schaefer made the selection team right. for Team Canada. And it was announced today that he made the team. That's playing exciting. Playing on the fourth line with uh, former Oil King Dylan Gunther. There we go. So that'll be exciting. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, hometown talent. Well, I guess Gun. Yeah. It gives we'll, us we'll more call reason that. to watch the World Juniors. To obviously, do I need more of a reason to cheer for Canada? Probably not, but it's just icing on top. And Connor Bedard, number one center. Shane Wright, number two center. It'll be a really fun tournament to watch for Edmonton. Yes. Um, I think I'm going to be glued to the juniors this year, especially like back around Christmas, things kind of getting back to normal. Yeah. It'd be nice no to wake August World Juniors. Where is it this year? <sighs> I don't know. I uh, didn't even check, but. I don't know if I can Google fast enough to tell you the truth. That's okay. There's just something about Boxing Day that's so much better when there's juniors hockey on. It's my favorite time of year where I just sit on the couch with my dad and we just watch the World Juniors. Yeah, you can wake up at 5 and catch the Spangler to start things too. Like, oh, it's great. It's in uh, New Brunswick okay. in Nova Scotia. So okay. it's in Halifax and Moncton. Okay, that's not bad. Two, uh, two very, well, Halifax, you go back, that was the Flurry... I think uh, 2002. I think you're 2003, right. 2003, yeah. the World Juniors, and every player that like has been in that tournament just keeps talking about how great the atmosphere was. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be good. Well, times if, if you're out in the Maritimes like that, you are starving for NHL yeah. and like high level hockey. Obviously, yeah. you got guys like the Mooseheads and stuff, right? But the high high level hockey, you, like I'm surprised there's not an NHL team out there. To be honest with you, man, yeah nobody likes to party like they do over there exactly it'd be like winnipeg where they have a smaller fan base but they're devoted as fuck yeah Uh, there's some definite teams like you throw one in halifax throw one in saskatchewan wood buffalo (laughs) (laughs) Uh, too funny all right uh a slew of games coming up but we'll be back with lots to talk about next week Uh, still found a way to put in 42 minutes so perfect We'll see you next week.